Well, if you're new with us today, we're in a series of messages called I Wish I Would've. And we're looking at key areas of our lives and learning how to live with fewer regrets. And, and I've learned that so much regret in life happens because we never receive training in two very important areas of our lives. You can graduate from high school, even from college, and never take one class on how to have healthy relationships. You can become an adult and never receive any training on how to be a good son or a good daughter or a good spouse or a good employee. You can get your high school and college degree and never learn how to be a good boss or a good leader or a good manager. Most of us were never taught how to have healthy relationships. And most people also become adults and never learn the best practices of how to handle money. That they never learned how to save, how to spend, how to establish good credit, how to purchase a home, how to purchase a car, how the stock market works, how to invest for retirement. You can earn your doctorate's degree. You can play in high school, learn, learn high school football plays, learn how to play basketball and run a 2-3 zone. You can learn about how to be a cheerleader, how to play an instrument, how to be an actor in the school play, and yet never learn the best practices of how to resolve human conflict, how to handle money. And because most of us were never taught these things, there's a lot of regret when it comes to relationships, when it comes to money. And after Easter, you don't want to miss after Easter, we're going to actually spend several weeks talking about how to make relationships work. Relationships are just a part of our everyday life. Friendships, work, school, and a lot of people don't know how to make them work. And today what I want to do is give you an overview of how to have less financial stress. This is not a generosity message, so loosen up. Every time the preacher talks about money, somebody wants to do the Baptist tip, what I call it. I'm going to tip on out right now. <laughs> Sit yourself down. I won't help you today. Come on, somebody. Uh-huh. Listen, I, listen, here's my heart. I really do love you more than you know, and I really want you to win in the area of your finances. I want you to have less regrets. I want you to have financial peace, and I, I want to talk a lot about my own life because my wife and I have made a lot of mistakes in this area, so I'm going to share a lot of my personal journey, and the first thought is simply this. I wish I would have avoided stuffitis. I wish I would have avoided stuffitis. I had a bad case of the stuff-itis in my early 20s. Stuff-itis is when you have a wrong relationship with stuff and money. Did you realize this, that a wrong relationship with money can mess up your life? The Bible talks about this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and here's what Paul does. Paul first tells us what it looks like to have a right relationship with money, and then he switches gears and he talks to us about what it looks like to have a wrong relationship with money. Check this out in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And that, he's talking about having a right relationship with money. And then he talks about what it looks like to have a wrong relationship 
And it goes on to say those who want to get rich or he's talking about those who are never content. They, they think having more and more and more will make them happy. They, they spend their life chasing after more money and just more stuff. And he goes on to say they fall into trap, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, desires like greed and jealousy and discontentment, desires like I'm going to compromise my values and my morals so I can go after more and more stuff. And he says that plunge people into ruin and destruction. A wrong relationship can plunge you into ruin. It can ruin marriages. It can ruin people from being good parents. It can ruin friendships. It can ruin family relationships. It can ruin your own mental and physical and emotional health. It can ruin your life. He goes on to say, verse 10, for the love of money. Now, some people misquote this verse and they say, for money is the root. But no, no, it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So, so there's nothing wrong with having money. There, there's nothing wrong if you have a lot of money. If you're a millionaire or a billionaire, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I pray that God raises up a lot of millionaires and billionaires at People's Church so that we can take the gospel all around the world, so that we can start more locations and reach more people, so, so that we can send missionaries around the world, so that we can invest into the next generation and invest into our leadership college to raise up warriors for Jesus. But there is a massive problem when you love money and stuff. Because when you love money, when you love stuff, it can wreck everything in your life. So here's what he says. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. People have wandered away from their faith because of money and stuff. They thought the pursuit of more money and the pursuit of more stuff was the answer, but the opposite actually happened. It had an opposite effect, and it only caused more grief and, and more pain and, and more trouble and more heartache because a wrong relationship with money will mess up so many areas of your life. And Tiffany and I know this firsthand. Because of a wrong relationship with money 25 years ago, I was using money we did not have to purchase stuff we did not need. I remember when we were engaged and we got engaged and right before we got married, we decided to buy a car so that we would have two cars entering marriage. And of course, neither one of us had no money. So we bought that car with some debt and we had now two cars and when we got married, she, Tiffany had student loans. I had student loans. So we got married not only with car debt, but with student loans. And, and as we were planning our, our wedding, I, I decided I wanted to impress Tiffany. I wanted to impress her family. I wanted to impress my family. So I decided I'm going to take Tiffany to the Bahamas on a cruise for our honeymoon. Brother didn't have no cruise money. <laughs> But I decided I'm going to take her on a cruise. I didn't, I didn't have the money to stay in the hotel. I, I didn't have the money for us to take the flights down to Florida to get to the cruise ship. I, I didn't have the money for the excursion. Praying she wouldn't want to go on no excursions, but she did. And so all of that went on the credit card. Come on, somebody, you know, the Bahama, Bahama honeymoon all on the credit card. And, and then we got back 
and we're living in Missouri, and we're living in our, our small little apartment, and I decided, man, we're going to get some brand new furniture for my, our little apartment. My wife deserves the best best and I know mama took us garage sales shopping growing up mama would go to garage sale they pick out them jeans boy bitches get, get you some jeans they get you some of them shoes and I was like mm, them garage sales days are over Mm -mm, it's new around here so I took Tiffany to the to the furniture store and we bought couch and love seat and end tables and lamps and dining room table I mean we, we didn't have no we didn't have no furniture money Put that bad boy on a credit card, somebody, huh? And, and then I decided we need a computer. You know, back in the day, there was no laptop computers. You had them big, ugly computers. You know what I'm saying? Them desktops, computers. And, and so I decided we need one of those. And it wasn't really a necessity. No doubt it was going to be inconvenient not to have one, but it wasn't a necessity. But I decided we're going to get one of those. So we went to the store, and we didn't have no computer money. So we just put it right there on the credit card and got us a brand-new computer for, for our house. And, and then I remember all of this debt. And all of this pressure, and Tiffany was still in college when we got married, and I was looking at all this debt, all these bills, and, and we decided, you know what, we don't really need this loan to pay for your college, but since you qualify for this student loan, and I don't know how we're going to pay all these bills, go ahead and take that student loan out as well. So we took out another student loan so that we could just be comfortable to be able to pay the bills because we got ourselves into so much debt and so much financial trouble. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I learned about Herbert Cooper. Truth be told, I was the one with the problem. I wish I could blame Tiffany, but Tiffany has always been a content person. I had a wrong relationship with stuff. I was violating biblical principles because I had to have it now and I needed it new. Wasn't going to be no garage sales around here. No, 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 no. But now that I'm 47, mama makes a whole lot more sense to me now. Hi, huh, somebody. Hey, I see what you was doing now. If a garage seller give a brother some peace, pull me up on Saturday morning. <laughs> but I was in love with having it now. And Tiffany and I had to kill the disease of stuffitis before it shipwrecked our future. And so here's what happened. Here's what happened. One day in our early 20s, I don't remember the exact day, but I remember us sitting down and talking, and we said, enough is enough. We had a deep conviction on the inside. Enough is enough. We're not going to keep spending money we don't have. We're not going to keep getting deeper and deeper into debt. We're not going to keep putting ourselves under this financial pressure and stress. And here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. It's going to help you today to have fewer financial regrets. It begins with a conviction that enough is enough. No more. Paul goes on to say this to Timothy in that very next verse, the context. He's talking about the love of money. He's talking about being content. He's talking about how love of money can shipwreck your life. In the next verse, he says, but you, men of God, flee from all this. 
deciding to flee is not about having the right knowledge. It's not about having the right principles. It's not about having the right tools. Fleeing is not even about reading the right books. It's not listening to the right financial podcasts. No, no, no. Deciding to flee, it's all about conviction. You've got to have a conviction on the inside that says enough is enough. Fewer financial regrets doesn't happen and doesn't start in the head. It starts in the heart. It starts with a conviction no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself financially, you've got to have a conviction in your heart that says, you know what, enough is enough. We aren't going to keep spending money we don't have. We're not going to just keep getting ourselves in. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of getting raises and bonuses and still being broke. I'm, I'm tired of getting into more and more debt. I'm, I'm tired of this financial pressure. Fleeing is all about convictions. And you can have all the right head knowledge. You can have, quote me, information from Dave Ramsey and Larry Baquette and financial wisdom. You can have all of that in your head but not do anything with it with your life until you have a conviction on the inside. And something has to change. I got to flee. I got to flee. I got to flee. And after you develop a conviction to flee, then you have to take the next step. And that's to pursue. First the conviction, then to pursue. He goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but you men of God flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness to defeat the disease of stuff-itis. You can't just flee. That's where it begins. Conviction, I got to flee. But then you have to pursue the right things. You have to pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue endurance, pursue gentleness. And in, con in the context of today's message, let me say it to you like this. You have to pursue biblical stewardship. You got you to gotta pursue it. So what I want to do today is I want to give you six right pursuits to fewer financial regrets. Six right pursuits to fewer financial regrets. Come on, everybody, get your pen out, get your paper, get your paper, get your, get, get, get your, get your, your, your phone out. Don't text nobody. Don't get on social media. Take some notes on your phone. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not a note taker. Oh, today the Spirit of the Lord says you're a note taker today. Come on, we're going we're gonna to help you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you. Here's number one. Here's number one. Pursue tracking your spending. Pursue tracking your spending. If you want to have fewer financial regrets, it begins with putting together a plan. A plan, a plan. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says good planning. Come on, every location, shout good planning. Oh, come on, you didn't shout at church. Come on, every location, shout good planning. Yeah, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcut leads to poverty. So a goal without a plan is a wish. Failure to plan is failing is planning to fail. Failure to plan is planning to fail. You have to remove the mystery. Here, here, here's what I want you to do. Today, I'm, I'm the professor. Can I do that? And, and you be the class. You're, you're my students today. Here's what I want you to do, a little homework assignment. For the next 30 days, I want you to track everything that you spend. I want you just to track it. 
This is what Tiffany and I have done for years. Just track everything you spend. Just the next 30 days, just track it on paper, pen, or get your phone out, get an app. You, but just track. I mean, everything you spend, first of all, you're going to be shocked. You're like, I spend that much on coffee? I spend that much going out to eat at Taco Bell? That's how much it cost me to get my nails did? Like, like you're, you're going to be shocked. But you, I want you just to begin to track next 30 days, next 30 days, next 30 days. Just track your spending, track your spending, track your spending, track your spending. Number two is this, number two, number two, the right pursuit, the right pursuit. Pursue planning your spending, planning your spending. So good planning doesn't just involve tracking your spending. It also involves planning your spending. Proverbs 27, verse 23, riches can disappear fast. Can I get a good amen? Yeah, and the king's crown doesn't stay in his family forever. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. Money disappears quickly. So what do we have to do? We have to watch our money closely. And one of the best things Tiffany and I did 25 years ago is we started tracking our spending, and then we started telling our money where to go. We said we got to stop wondering where it went. And we got to tell it where to go. And so here's, here's what I asked Tiffany to, do, Tiffany to do. I said, babe, would you send me our budget, our categories? I want to show the church our budget to help them. And so we took the financial numbers off because you don't need to know how much I pay for my dog. <laughs> but check out the budget. So this is the Cooper budget. So this is, this is just our budget. So you got the tithe and the offering and miracle offering. Some people like, you know, comes to December for the miracle offering time. Like, how am I going to do it? No, we just, it's in our budget. We just, we, it's in the budget. It's savings and taxes and just all of it, even tax services. Because I'll go to jail if I try to do my own taxes. So I need somebody, I need somebody else to do that for me. So that's in the budget. And, and it's just all in the budget, right? We got a college student now and car maintenance and oil changes. We just know that's going to happen. We even have a little money set aside for car repairs that's coming out of every paycheck. And we just, it's all there. You know, it's, all, it's just, it's there. It's like the kid on the far right, you know, entertainment and, and food. And we even know like the kids' birthdays. We know they're going to have a birthday. So it's just in the budget. It's, it's in the budget. The only line I want to take out the budget is the dog food and dog expenses. But I'm a, dogs are expensive, y'all. Pray for your pastor. But uh but that's in there. We, we got a senior next year, so we've been planning for the senior pictures for next year. And then the year after that, we got another senior in high school, so we're planning for that. So that, that's just, that's the, we are literally, and there's like money, there's money by each category of how much all of that costs because we're telling our money where to go telling our money where to go. And some of you right now, you feel overwhelmed. You're like, oh my goodness, track my spending, plan my spending. Oh my gosh, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. I am overwhelmed right now. <laughs> Let me say this to you. We want to help you. I really do love you. And I want what's best for you. Next Sunday, during the first service at every campus, we're having a two-week absolutely free financial class. And we've asked people at the church who are very good with their finances and good teachers to teach the class. And so next week at your first service, it's 9 o'clock in Oklahoma City, and it's 10 at Northwest and Midwest City. It's 930 at Indianapolis and the, in the growth track room. We're going to teach you for two weeks how to do this 
we're going to help you. It begins with a plan. Make part of your planning being at the financial class next week during the first service in the growth track room. Number three is this. Number three is this. Let me help you. Number three is pursue attacking your debt. Pursue attacking your debt. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5 says this. Good planning. Now notice this. Hard work. Everybody say hard work. So you got good planning, but it also takes hard work. It leads to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So to live with fewer financial regrets, it will require hard work. Church, there are no, short, there are no, there, there are no shortcuts. It's not, it's not easy to have fewer financial regrets. But it's very possible. You can do this. Matter of fact, let me say it to you like this. It's hard to live upside down financially. It's hard to keep getting into more and more debt. It's hard to live with financial stress and pressure. And it's also hard to get your finances under control. It's hard to start digging out the debt. It's hard to live with financial peace. Both ways are hard, but there's a right hard and a wrong hard. And you get to choose your heart. But, but both are hard. And Tiffany and I chose 25 years ago, we chose we're going to attack our debt and we we had some debt i mean we had a whole lot of it we weren't making a lot of money thirty thousand forty thousand she's in college working at kohl's part-time i'm traveling full-time substitute teaching sometimes we didn't have a whole lot of money but you know we had a conviction we're not going to keep living like this and so we just made our minds up let's attack this debt and I'm not going to tell our whole story today, but we just started with the smallest debt. Somebody said, well, Pastor, why didn't you start with the one with the most interest? Listen, math didn't get us into this problem. <laughs> and math wasn't going to get us out of it. We started with the smallest one and we paid it off. It was what Dave Ramsey calls the debt snowball. And then we took the next one and we paid it off. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. It was work. It was sacrifice. The only movie we went to was a dollar theater. We didn't, I mean, we didn't, date nights looked different. We didn't buy clothes. But you know what? We woke up a couple of years later. All of our debt paid off, debt free. Bought our first house, $80,000 to $90,000. Come on, where are them days that when you could buy a house brand new for $80,000, $90,000? But we did. And to this day, the only debt that we have is our home. But it happened 25 years ago with the conviction to say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and you can do this, and we want to help you next week in the financial class. We want to help you. Number four is this. Number four is this. Pursue saving your money. Got to have the right pursuits. Pursue saving your money. So let me review. Let me review. You need a conviction that enough is enough. That's first. You need a good plan for tracking your spending. You need a plan to tell your money where to go. We call that a budget. And then you need to attack your debt. And then you need to save. And saving your money is hard. It takes good planning and hard work to lead to prosperity. But church, here's the biggest thing I want you to get today. You can do this. I don't care where you are in your financial life. You can do this. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And throughout the book of Proverbs, it compares the wise person to the foolish person. And I want you to notice the difference between the wise and the foolish person. And I want you to notice it has nothing to do with how much they earn. 
Both wise people and foolish people can earn 20000 or 50000 or 100000 or 250000 a year or, or a million or millions of dollars a year. That, that's not what makes a person wise or foolish. What makes a wise person wise is based on how much they save a year. And no matter how much money you make, if you spend it all, you're a fool. Pastor, are you calling me a fool? I would never do that. The Bible did. I, I just preached the Bible. This means the wise, the wise person learns to live within their means and they don't overextend themselves. They have savings. But the foolish person, no matter how much they make, because it really doesn't matter. I know people that make a whole lot of money that are upside down financially. Because it doesn't matter how much you make. It matters what you do with it, how you manage what you have to create margin to save. I want to quickly just give you some, a few thoughts about creating savings to help you live with fewer regrets. Just a few thoughts. We'll teach you more in the class starting next week, but a few thoughts. The first is this, save for emergencies. Save for emergencies. But begin by saving $1,000 into an emergency fund. Emergencies happen. It might be a car or medical emergencies or appliances break. Emergencies happen. So do whatever it takes to get $1,000 set aside. Now, for some of you, let me say this, legally and biblically. <laughs> we got some folks kind of saved that come to people's church. You know, you're in the sanctification process, and we're glad that you're here. But legally, legally, let me give you some ideas on how to get $1,000 into saving. Let me give you an idea. Let me give you some ideas. Real quick, real quick, real quick. We'll give you more in the financial class, but let me just give, sow the seed so I can help you, help you, help you today. Here, first is this. Eat at home and take your lunch to work. Eat out less. The average family spends $200 a month eating out. Make your coffee at home. The average person spends $128 a month on coffee. Midwest City, Northwest, Indy, online, I don't know what it's like at your campus, but it's your quiet Oklahoma City. I say give up coffee. I can't get an amen. I can't get a mm-hmm. I can't get a preaching power. I can't get nothing up in here. It's quiet. I'm just trying to help you today, church. All right, all right. Another idea to get $1,000 set aside is shop your car insurance and home insurance. For most of us, we get home insurance and car insurance, and it goes years without us checking around with other people to see what they offer, checking around with other So if you go check your car insurance and life insurance, you might be surprised. The savings you can get, the same amount of insurance at a cheaper rate. So, so here's another idea. For a season, get rid of your cable TV. Get rid of Netflix, Hulu. Get rid of Disney+. Plus. People think I'm cussing in church. I'm not cussing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm just, I'm your friend. You act like I cussed. Ooh. I'm just wanting to help you get $1,000 set aside. Hey, hey, get a cheaper car payment. Did you realize that the average American spends $564 a month on a car payment? There's nothing wrong with having a good, used, reliable car. Like, like to get rid of that other car, sell and get a cheaper car and get $1,000 set aside and then work to getting three to six months of savings for major emergencies. That's what you're going to work towards. 
You want to work? We're going to teach you that in the financial class. And then get a life insurance policy. We'll talk more about that in the financial class. But these are some things you want to save for. You want to save for the future. Retirement, you want to save for that. And you want to save for future purchases. This is something my wife and I have done for years now. When we got out of debt, we started putting money away in retirement. And let me say this to every young person. It's amazing how much money you can have if you'll start saving right now in your 20s. Just every, every month, just start saving. Just start saving. Just putting in a retirement. Putting in retirement. You wake up, like Tiffany and I, 20, 25 years later, you can have a nice little nest egg set aside. If you just start now, just start putting it away. Putting it away. Putting it away. And then save money for future purchases. So we just know future purchases. We're just gonna, we're gonna save for. We know Christmas is coming, or we know we gotta buy this, or need another, need another couch. So just save for future purchases. Save for future purchases. Save, pursue saving your money. Number five is this. Number five is this. Just look at your neighbor and tell them this. Look at your neighbor and say, "I'm so glad you came to church today." Go ahead and tell them, "Yeah, oh, I'm glad you came today. Oh, the Lord is helping you." Number five. Number five. Number five. Pursue a generous life. Pursue a generous life. Notice Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. So, so wicked people borrow money, borrow things, borrow with no intentions of ever repaying. They are takers. But the godly people live in such a way that they create margin in their financial life to be generous to others. They are givers. So notice this, the wicked are takers. The godly are givers. The wicked are takers. The godly are givers. They're generous. Something Tiffany and I did starting 25 years ago, our entire marriage, even when we were in a lot of debt, even when we had so much financial stress and pressure, we took out a student loan that she qualified for to pay bills. Even in that position, we always put God first and tithed. We've always been tithers. And I believe this. This is just my own conviction. I believe that when we got serious about getting out of debt, we saw supernatural miracles and provision because we had God involved in our finances by returning 10% of our income to the church that we worshiped at in Missouri. I believe, I mean, we watched the hand of God work. Let me teach you this. Let me teach you really quick. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. Here's the baseline, 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. Here's your baseline. This just has to be the baseline for your income. 10, 10, 80. Here's how I want you to steward your money. The first 10%, give it to God. Give it back to God, to the local church where you worship. That's the first 10% of your income. The next 10% is to save it. Save the next 10%. Save the next 10% and then live off 80%. That's the the baseline. 10, 10, 80. Some would say it like this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Some say it like this. Pay God first. Pay yourself second, save. Pay others third. But 10, 10, 80. That pastor, I, 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 I'm not living like that. You got to adjust your lifestyle to get to 10, 10, 80 as a baseline. Pay God first, 10%. Pay yourself second, 10%. Save it, save it, save it. And then live off the rest. And as you grow in finances and getting out of debt, as you, as you grow then you can start. My, my wife and I, we give well above 10%. We give to Miracle Offer. We give to Dream Builders. We, 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 get, we, get, we give a lot. We, we save like crazy. We invest in retirement. But begin with 10, 10, 80. Number six is this. Number six. And I believe this could be the most important point of all. And that's pursue getting started now. 
pursue getting started now. I want you to say this with me. Just say the word now. Now. Don't wait. Get started. Let me tell you what I see time and time again. Procrastination stops so many people from experiencing financial peace. Here's what happens. I know some of you are there today. You feel overwhelmed. You feel defeated. You feel shame. And I want you to know, don't you feel any shame? Don't you feel any condemnation? There's no condemnation in Christ. You feel hopeless. Some of you, you feel like things can never change. So you never get started. And I, I want you to know, it won't happen overnight. There are no shortcuts. But church, I'm telling you, it is possible. And the Lord will help you but you gotta get started today and if you'll get started today i'm telling you, you're gonna wake up in a year from now you're gonna wake up in two years from now you're gonna wake up in three years from now and you're gonna have more financial peace than you ever thought possible but you gotta get started today i'm talking to somebody you can pay off those credit cards you can pay off that debt you you can you can you can pay off that card that i'm speaking to somebody right now yes you can get a thousand dollars in an emergency fund you can get three to six months in a, into a savings account you can save for your retirement. You're going to be able to do it in Jesus' name. You're going to put money aside in retirement and get $250,000 or $500,000 set aside or a million or $2 million or $3 million or millions of dollars set aside for your retirement. You can be generous, not just a tither. That's the baseline. But then you're going to be able to give way above the tithe to further the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can do this. You can do this. But you have to get started today. A good plan implemented today is better than a perfect plan implemented tomorrow. Today is the opportunity to build the tomorrow you want. But it starts today. You can do this, church. Father, I love you. I praise you. I, I love this church that you've called Tiffany and I to pastor. And I pray, Lord, there would be hope today that you can help our church family in the area of their finances. I pray today where people have just given up, I pray today, God, that they would sense hope and a conviction today that things are going to be different. Have your way, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, just no moving around, there are people here that have been pursuing the wrong things. And Paul tells young Timothy, flee. And he was talking about just loving money and the ways of the world and some of you need to flee not only financial habits but you've gotten habits of engaging in sex outside of marriage and the habit of different habits of drugs and pornography and pills and lying and, and greed and, and jealousy and gossip and and you're pursuing the wrong things. And today, God loves you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wash away your sins. He wants to give you a second chance. Somebody, it's a fifth chance. It's a hundredth chance. He's got so much grace for you. Would you come to Jesus today? Flee. Flee the way you've been living and come to Jesus. As I count to three, would you raise your hand high? You say, Pastor, I'm fleeing what I've been doing, and I'm pursuing Jesus with my life from this day forward. If that's you, as I count to three, raise your hand high. You're saying, include me in this prayer. I want my sins forgiven. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time. I'm tired of the things I've been pursuing, and I want to pursue Jesus. One, 
two, three. Just lift your hand high. Say, Pastor, that's me. I see your hand. Thank you. See your hand so much. Thank you so much. Others today. Come on, Midwest City. Come on, Northwest. Come on, Indianapolis online. Come on, Mabel Bassett. I see your hand there. Thank you so much. See your hand there. Others today. Come on online. Just click the raise your hand button right now or write, that's me. Is there somebody else that wants to be included in this prayer? You want your sins to be forgiven. I see your hand there. You want to be made right with God today. Others today. That's it. That's it. I'm going to ask every hand that's lifted to pray this prayer with me. God's going to wash away your sins today. Pray with me now. Just pray right there in your seat. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I flee from my sin and I turn to Jesus. And I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and is my Savior. And from this day forward, I will live my life for Jesus Christ. My life is his. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.